listeners to another wonderful episode of Whisper in the Wings. We have a very special guest today. We have composer and lyricist Seth Beeson Hirsch with us. Uh, his most recent work is currently playing at the AMT Theater, and that is Love Quirks. Seth, welcome, welcome to Whisper in the Wings. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I love doing anything where I can talk about myself for an hour. It's like <laughs> free therapy. So I love it. Well, I had the incredible privilege of seeing the show a couple weeks ago. And like I'd mentioned before, we started recording. Um, it was truly delightful. It was like the most realistic, like love story kind of thing. It was it, it was the right amount of sweet for your sweet tooth. It wasn't so sweet that like you were like, oh, this is just so unbelievable. It was exactly what we needed, what we expected, what we wanted kind of thing uh, in all the right ways. Ah, uh, shucks. And so okay. why don't you tell our listeners a bit about that, about your show? Well, Love Quirks is, uh, you know, a cute little charming musical about four single people in their 30s who happen to uh, share an apartment because, you know, how New York City rent is. <laughs> and uh, they have a history. Uh, two of them went to high school together. They all went to college together. There's a lot of baggage and conflict. Uh, I would say the show is primarily about wanting to find love and it's for anyone who has ever been in love or wanted to be in love and these four characters who are uh loosely based on us and our friends and kind of you know a, an amalgam of everyone combined so that's why you probably relate to it and find it authentic is everything in the show has happened to one of us or our friends and we just kind of steal from their lives and, and put it on stage and that's why you'll feel like most people go and they're like, oh, my God, I'm so a Ryan or I'm so a Chris or, oh, gosh, I remember that time when I couldn't get off the couch for six months because I ran into my ex randomly on the street. These are things that have happened to all of us. And I think that's why people relate. But through the show, uh, these four characters, you know, they reassess their baggage and their love quirks or whatever to try to figure out how to, to move forward with their life. Uh, and finally find, you know, happiness or love, or at least, you know, we don't wrap it up in a bow, which is why you're saying it's not too saccharine. We 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 take them to the next step of their journey where they're in a better place and ready to, to move on and move forward and accept uh, the love that is coming to them instead of being in this place where they're kind of all clumped, you know? Yes. Yes, exactly. I mean, I think one of the things I wrote down after the show was it felt very natural, not just in the natural. conversation, but just in the relationships and the way they interacted, the way the story flowed. Nothing felt, I mean, honestly, nothing felt theatrical. It all felt real. Like that was uh, exactly how that would happen. If we, if we spied on an apartment anywhere in the city, I really genuinely feel like that is exactly what we would see uh, in a relationship. So I loved that. Well, that's a testament to Mark Childers, the book writer, and Brian Childers, the co-conceiver director. They really helped shape the piece. Uh, a lot of the songs were already written from my my cabaret catalog uh, and were originally in a song cycle called Love Quirks. I realized that when people were doing my songs, they were kind of gravitating towards these really authentic, honest, quirky love songs. And uh, so I put him together in a song cycle and Brian Childers, the director, was in it. And he was like, Seth, this is not a song cycle. There's a, a real musical here, a charming musical. And we brought his brother Mark on and we did our first reading on June 27th, 2011. And we ended up finally opening off Broadway on June 27th, 2022. So 11 years later, you know, with a 27 month hiatus because of the pandemic, because as you know, we were supposed to open three days before opening night in 2020. Uh, and it's just been a really a wonderful and very stressful journey uh, to reopen the show during a pandemic. Uh, but we love the show. It's a labor of love. And we just, we couldn't let it die, you know, and at every stage, Mark would figure out a way to add more depth to these characters. This current, uh, we're at currently at the, the 28th draft of the show and the, the actors at every step of the way, you know, they helped create the characters and the, the current cast 
they all came back from 2020. All four of them came back instantly. And it, it, the stage management team, the, the designers, like everyone was like so happy the show was back because we all love it so much. It's such a, a part of us, you know, it's such a huge part of us. I cry almost every night. Those emotional songs are all songs I wrote when I was having emotions. Uh, so those moments in the show that feel like these characters are having authentic emotions is because I literally put the songs that I wrote when I was in these situations in the song, in the show. And then through the, the 10 years or whatever of development, we lost maybe a third of the song cycle songs, maybe a little bit more. And I put in new songs uh, that worked better for the characters in the show. And then uh, we, you've seen how we are, you know, we've tweaked a lot of lyrics we went through everything with the with the magnifying glass until the entire show. And that's a testament again to Brian uh, and his vision, how he melded everything together and made it what it is today. That's amazing. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that the, the cast stuck around because they really did. Like you got the sense there was just real strong chemistry among them. Oh, gosh, they're really close. It's a, it's a bit clicky. It's a bit clicky, I'm not gonna lie, but they are they are like a family, the four of them. They are so like comfortable with each other. And I think that really shows on stage. And everything just works together. I mean, the songs really were catchy. They, you know, I left humming a few of them. Um, the stage Thank was you. great. I love that you guys utilize the um the orchestra loft up above. That's the director, yes. That was his choice. And all the projections, Mark did all the projections himself. He went around town and he made little videos and took pictures of everything he wanted. Yeah, it, it just it was a it was a full and complete show. And 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 I and I've mentioned this a lot on our show about what makes a good show is, is you know the devil's in the details. It's the little things that make that that you may not realize as an audience member that really sells it to you, but. That's what it is. And one thing that stood out to me that I just thoroughly loved is there was always that like one bottle of vodka that they just kept going back to in the apartment. Uh, yes. And I was like, yeah, we all had that bottle in our first apartment or whatever that was just always there. And, you know, it wasn't like a fabulous brand like Grey Goose or something. It was probably something cheap, like Absolute or something, you know, and just all the time, no matter what, when they were in that apartment, just someone always was pouring it. And I was like, yeah, that... I don't know. That little detail just made it feel homey. And I was just at ease, you know? So well, tough, you know, people need that little nip of alcohol. And the last thing I did want to mention was your set was incredibly versatile. Everything moved seamlessly and it was utilized so well. Well, that was a, that was a team effort there, but the, the official set designer is Josh Iconavelli. And uh, when we were at St. Luke's in 2020, that that theater is run in rep or was before they changed management companies. So the whole show had to be designed to come in and out. And since we're on the, it's called the periodic off-Broadway contract, which is how you can uh, hire equity actors for just four shows a week and mm -hmm. make it affordable to do small theater because we could not run the show eight shows a week. We, we did not have the budget for that. Uh, so being able to have that flexibility we we designed or Josh designed the set to come in and out. Uh, I believe Michael Dangora also helped get some of those set pieces originally in 2020. And then we got a paint uh, a paint can, red paint, and we just painted everything. Love Porks Red, as we call it. It's beautiful. That's that's Brian's vision because that it's all you know. As you're saying, the details uh, we had the poster was designed and the poster we just. Mark also is our marketing. I'm telling you, it's just me, Mark, and Brian doing everything. But Mark <laughs> is the marketing director and also uh, had his firm design the poster. And he decided it was going to be all black and white and red. And when that came to be, then it, Brian was like, well, that has to be in the set, too. As you see, we have the windows from the poster on in the set. And those are all red. And the entire set is all black and white, which is funny. Because the AMT theater, uh, that's Al Tapper, the the guy who built the theater, and uh, 
he wanted it to be a black and white theater. So it, it, it was fortuitous that here we have a show that's black, white, and red in the black and white theater. Uh, so that's the whole set. We were like, we want little pieces that are, that we can move in and out because what else are you going to do? We don't have turntables. We don't have like, you know, that sliding thing where the set comes in on a slider. We don't have wings. We don't have a backstage. So we right. needed to be designed in a way that was practical, but also minimal. And I think, uh, I, I mean, it's fantastic the way Brian did it. Brian also did the costumes and whatever right. in the show, here's another detail no one knows. Uh, whenever the character finally has that change of heart, they're wearing red. So if you watch the show again, you'll notice he has them in Love Quirks Red right at the moment where they're opening their heart to something new. Like Stephanie's in her red dress when she sings Hey, because that's her. When oh she's my God. And Chris is wearing a red shirt at the finale. Yeah. And Ryan has it on in that scene when, with Jerry where he's like, okay. And then um, and Lily has on that red jacket when she is singing this is awkward and he jimmy asks her out she has that moment of okay oh maybe that is brilliant talk about a, a touch yeah you're the only one i told about this <laughs> the show is almost over so i have to tell someone no i love i love like those little easter eggs and that now i want to see it again see what I can i'm not going to take credit for any of that i wrote the score <laughs> the lyrics the music and the orchestrations that's me some of the scene change music was my musical director, Austin Knuckles. Austin Knuckles. He did a fantastic job uh, making scene change music. It's like when you're a film writer, John Williams makes the theme and then he has his minions, you know, who take it <laughs> and do whatever with him. So Austin did, did create a lot of that scene change stuff from the themes of the show. And I love, you know, this time in 2022 with the limited run, we were able to have an orchestra and I think they have really elevated the show having Ethan on drums and Anna on cello. Uh, Cause I had during the pandemic, I had time. I mean, I'm sure we all had time. So I orchestrated the CD for bass, cello and drums. And I was like, well, uh, I have the parts now. We should just have this for the show. Why aren't we doing this? And I, I made the executive decision cause I, you know, in charge, and I was like, I think I want to do this. And everyone was like, all right, you want to do it? Let's let's hire musicians. And I think it's really, it elevates the show. Yeah, for sure. What is the message that you're hoping audiences will walk away with from the show? I just want them to have a break from the shit show of the world right now. I want them to have a feel good show that makes them laugh, that makes them cry, gives them some catharsis and kind of makes them feel like maybe there is a reason we are alive because it's been really terrible the last few years and i feel like i feel like this show can can be a refuge for people like a refuge for people who need uh, a break from all the crap in their lives and i just want them to enjoy themselves we're not we're not reinventing the wheel here you know a lot of theater experimental theater or, or off off broadway they want to 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 transcend the genre or or try something new. We're not trying to do anything new. We wrote a show that's by the book. It is an old fashioned musical comedy with a modern sensibility. And it feels like it's written for our generation. I had, you know, an 18 year old volunteer at the theater came and saw it. He was peeing in his pants. This is a show for, for our generation and younger, like the, the older people, my parents love the show. They find it really sweet. They don't get all the jokes because they're not on the dating apps. So they, a lot of it, they don't understand why people are laughing. You know, like there's one line in the nap song about why do all, why do most dudes just post pictures with fish? And that's a thing. And when I had 20 year olds there on Thursday night, 
they like fell out of their chairs because they're like, yeah. Whereas some of the older people might not understand those references, but they still really love the show. And that's, I think, you know, as I was talking to the guy who runs the theater, Tony, I think that's the demographic is everybody. It's literally for anyone who wants to be in love. Anyone. It plays well with high school kids. If I, we've even had some like 10, 11 year olds, they, the sexual stuff goes over their heads, but they still really <laughs> go. The teenagers, 20 year olds, millennials eat it up like butter. The people who are generation X, uh, Xennials, generation X, they really relate to it because that's who wrote it is, you know, us, uh, us, the creators are all in our forties now, which I don't, I, I can almost pass for 38. Uh, but uh, that's, you know, and that's who really gets the show. They, anyone who comes who's my age or approximately, it, they, they really connect to it. They literally say to me, that was the most relatable thing I've seen. And as you said, I think it was before we were recording, it's not Oklahoma. You know, Oklahoma, Joseph, those are shows that are iconic, but you don't go and go, oh, my God, I'm such a, a Lori, I'm such a NATO Annie, because it's so, you know, 1800s, you know, mm-hmm. even further older than that. You don't go away saying, oh, I'm such a, a such a Simon, Joseph's brother, Simon, uh, which is also my father's name. But it's like, I feel like there is a dearth of shows that are on the level this relatable. We're not camp. There are shows that are campy. We are not camp. We are not sitcommy we are a little sitcommy but we're not over the top we are we earn it all because we're authentic so i just i think this is what theater can do and should do and we really believe in our art form and it is a love letter to musical theater to new york uh and to all of our friends who inspired us to write i'm starting to choke up inspired us to write the show it's it's really a labor of love and we love it so much and uh, it's it's terribly sad that we can't, you know, run forever, but we don't have any cats in it. So what can you do? Yeah. No, I, I, I think you guys should be tremendously proud of what you've done. And I'm glad you actually br- brought up the, the sitcom aspect because that at first, that's where I thought we were going down the path when when and forgive me i'm terrible with names when the character is like i need a roommate uh i need a movie yeah and i was like okay i know where the story's going this is like a 90s sitcom and it did anything but that which is what i loved um that's where for me the sitcom quit and the real life kicked in because where i thought the story was going it didn't go that way and i immediately went oh they're not gonna give me the friends you know, version of a New York lifestyle. They're going to give me the real nitty gritty. They're going to give me the real awkward. There's something between us. They're going to, you know, all of that kind of stuff. The, the, there's history among us and it's not going to be sugar-coated. And I loved that. Yeah, one woman came out after and she was like, this show is about all those things we go through that no one wants to talk about. And yes, uh, exactly. That is that is the truth. We don't, we don't mince words, you know? It is all authentic, it is all honest. Uh, the whole subplot of, uh, you know, a, a woman being in love with her gay best friend for 10 years, that I know a lot of people like that. So that is very relatable, especially in musical theater, to have someone in love with their gay best friend. Yeah. Uh, and we don't we don't make it a joke. We make it that this is real. And she really has these feelings. And we don't say, oh, look how funny it is that, you know, she's still in love with him. We, we go, why is she still in love with him? That's what the circle is about. We delve into her psyche. And there are so many people who are in love with unrequited unrequited love, I think is a huge theme that goes through our show because, you know, Lily is still kind of in love with Ryan and Ryan has feelings for Chris. And Chris is, you know, maybe kind of pining after his ex a little bit, but he's starting to like Stephanie. And Stephanie has been so bruised by her divorce and the divorce we added to the show in 2020 uh, because we we aged the characters up because the actors had all aged. And we realized that people in their 30s are way more interesting than people in their 20s. Like way more interesting. Almost but, like we've lived life uh, a little. <laughs> I know they've lived life. And that plot, you know, with the divorce, we've had, I've had multiple friends who are divorced in their 20s and 30s. And they they think 
us after the show for like putting a spotlight on that because that's not what you hear about. You hear about divorcees in their like in their 60s and 70s after, you know, their kids are gone. But there are so many people who get married in their 20s and then they get divorced like two years later. That is there's a lot of people like that. And that is, you will not see a character like that on TV or in the theater or in the movies. You will not see that depicted. And we don't we don't go away from that. You know, we have one broken engagement, one divorce, two unrequited loves. These are real things that happen. You know, the one review called us the millennial company meets friends. And we like that quote a lot. We feel like we are very much like company, but hipper. And there is a little bit of sitcom but as you said, it it is not it is not a, a show that is fake or campy in any way, like some other shows may be. And, I, and the, going back to the divorce part, what I love is you didn't just give the character and say, well, she's divorced and we're going to move on. You dealt with the psychological, everything psychological around that all the baggage that comes with it. We didn't just say you're divorced and, oh, it was horrible and let's move on from it. You you showed both sides of that because if you've ever met someone that's had to go through a breakup or a divorce, there's probably anger in there somewhere, but there's a lot more too, you know, and, and you showed all of that range of emotion. And so you kind of got, you you were able to go on that journey with Stephanie and be like, wow, I didn't realize that even though you were so mad that this is so hard hard for you even though it's two years later well, we, I, we we it's all mixed emotions you know as you say we don't we don't just blanket statement here we want to go into that nitty-gritty that's what it that's what theater should be it should be delving into the human experience and that is what i think we did with the show yes and that makes for a perfect segue into uh my last question for this portion of the interview which is who do you hope have access to this show? I mean, I really hope that it is is we get picked up and licensed and it's just done everywhere. I think it should be done in every college in the country with the musical theater program. I think it should be done in small theaters in every city in the world. And we do hope the show has a huge life uh, regionally and in amateur productions. We We feel like it is very marketable and very relatable. And I think once people start knowing about the show, it'll be around with us a very long time. I absolutely agree. It, this is definitely one of those shows that once you see it, it just stays with you. It very much stays with you and you can't help but bring it up in conversations and, and, and just have it in your head. So on our show, we not only talk about and break down theater uh, shows, but we like to talk about our own personal experience in the theater. So I want to shift the conversation a bit and focus on you a little and your experience in the theater. And I want to start by asking you, um, what shows in the past have inspired you or do you love? And since you're a composer, I'll also open that up to composers or playwrights as well. Uh, well, I, I think you will probably guess I'm a Sondheim acolyte. <laughs> you probably hear it in the lyrics and in the score. Uh, Steve is is one of the the greats, as people who are in theater will know. Of course, my mom prefers Joseph and Lee Miz, uh, but I saw Sunday in the Park with George in fifth grade. My music teacher in elementary school was in a production, uh, regional production, and she said, I want to invite you as my guest. And I just... I fell in love with Sunny in the Park with George and I, I watched it and I said, I get this. This is who I am. I am what I do. This is, this is what I, I'm going to be an artist. And my mom saw it and she said, I wish we were a Joseph, but uh, you know, <laughs> that's what it is. And then I just got into Sondheim and I, I would take the CDs out of the library and I would record them on cassette tapes uh, to age myself. And I would play the cassette tapes of Sondheim shows. And, you know, I, I would think that's where, where I sit. But my grandfather used to 
giving me tapes uh, from his records. So he had all the original cast recordings. And so I had a very uh, big knowledge base in terms of old musicals and all the golden age stuff. And we would see all that because my mom would take me to all that stuff. Uh, so I would learn those scores and my grandfather would give me another like four tapes every time I would visit and I would have the whole scores memorized for them. So I, I think I'm really quite old school in what I like to listen to. Uh, I do like some newer composers, but I do think I prefer the older ones. I really liked uh, Janine Tesori. I think she is uh, wonderful and very versatile and you listen to her scores Violet and Fun Home and Kimberly Akimbo and even Shrek and Millie. And they don't, they do not sound alike at all. And I think that she is probably the most versatile composer we have right now because yes. I really, I enjoy a lot of Jason Robert Brown stuff, but his stuff sounds like Jason Robert Brown. And I think my stuff sounds like Seth Biesenhirsch wrote it. So, uh, and even Sondheim, he has different styles, but it sounds Sondheim. Janine Tesori, I, I admire her uh, a lot. But in terms of what I really listen to besides Sondheim, it would probably be Mozart and Puccini. That's kind of where I sit. So that's why when you hear my orchestrations, as my friends said, they go in very unexpected places. That's because of, of my Puccini influence. I know Sondheim was really big in, uh, in Ravel. And so I got a whole bunch of Ravel. I get CDs from the library because I'm old and I have an external drive and I put them in my iTunes. Uh, so I, I go on bidges from the library. I take like 10 at a time and then I get really into, you know, a composer's work. Because I, you know, I have a musical composition degree from MIT and I, I really like classical music. So I, I would think that's probably why my music is, is more complicated than say a, a pop score which I think a lot of modern composers, uh, are, I would say, are in the pop route. I would, I personally could not write a pop score and I can't really listen to them either. Uh, so I, I think that where I sit is more. I also love Jerry Herman. I would think he is another big influence. Uh, I try to write at least one catchy song a show and that is, that's because I, I, I love Jerry Herman. But I would think Stephen Sondheim, Jerry Herman, Cy Coleman, very versatile composer. Uh, Aaron's and Flaherty, Alan Menken. I did grow up loving Les Mis because of my mom. So Schoenberg, I think sometimes I have a theatricality that would be because of my listening to Les Mis and Miss Saigon too much as a kid. But I think what you listen to as a kid sticks with you, you know, in high school. Oh, yeah. Those are your formative years. Um, like I had one professor in college and he would say music composition is like eating like if you eat potato chips the other side will come out a form of potato chips so whatever you listen to goes in your head and comes out a little differently but you're very influenced that way i cannot agree more with that uh, absolutely have you seen any great theater lately that you'd recommend to our listeners i've seen love quirks like <laughs> 20 times i'm trying to think what else i've seen I would, if we get rid of the word recently, um, I do see a lot of theater, just not not this summer. I see a lot of my own show. Um, what was the last show I, well, the last show I really loved is the the musical version of Kimberly Akimbo. Yes. Uh, it is the new, as I mentioned, Janine's story is is fantastic. My friend Bonnie Milligan is, was, is in it and it's yeah, And I, I loved, I loved it. Like that play is really good. I saw that play ages ago. Um, I do see a lot of plays. Uh, what was the last play that I really liked? Uh, POTUS was really funny. That just closed. I like POTUS and Hangman in the Minutes. I think they're all gone now. Yep. A lot of things closed. Uh, MJ the Musical was surprisingly fantastic. Yes. Not really a jukebox person, but I think I gasped at the show three times. It was unbelievable spectacle uh not the kind of show i would ever personally write but i i found that a highly enjoyable evening yes and i really do want to see into the woods because my friend uh, diane is in it i just haven't uh into the woods would hopefully be the next i heard this production is great i'd like to see that 
And I really like company, obviously, because I'm going to mention more Sondheim. I just saw Into the Woods on Saturday and it was, it was delightful. It is perfect. They didn't need, they don't need to do anything with this production more. It was perfect. It was, I mean, like I've seen it so many times. I have the Bernadette version on tape and I saw it. My high school did a production and I saw it at the park with Donna Murphy and I saw it with Vanessa Williams last time. So I was hesitant, but everyone is just, going on and on and on and on about it. So I, I feel like I need to I need to get there if I can. Its beauty is its simplicity. It just lets the work exist and that's all you needed. And I can't wait for the Kimberly Akimbo this fall. I saw it at Atlantic uh, stages and I wasn't sure what I was getting into, but I think you're absolutely right. Jeannie Tesori is just a genius and I couldn't get that music out of my head. I immediately like oh, left. I was telling everyone, I was like, "This is going to Broadway. You need to see it now." And you know, now it's it's coming to the booth in the fall. And Bonnie Milligan is just she's ridiculous in that show. It's she's so funny. It's yeah, she did one of my cabarets. You know, I've done. I'm hitting 700 weekly cabarets at Don't Tell Mama this October. Wow, uh, Bonnie was in one like years ago. So she's one of my success stories of people I've worked with. That's amazing. I know. It's like, you know, I've just been around. I coached Matt Doyle for his first Broadway audition and now he has a Tony. So you knew him when? <laughs> I know. Actually, I saw Matt, Matt uh, walked past the theater the other day because uh, it was like a month ago when company was open as on our theater. But he was coming by and he was like, congrats, Seth. I'm so happy your show's back. And he's one of the nicest people I think I've ever met. Oh, that's so good to hear. What is your favorite part about working in uh, in the theater? Oh, gosh. Um, my favorite part is when the audience laughs. So I actually have a new spot where I just sit on the stairs that go up to the balcony because I can hear the laughter from the balcony and from the orchestra, and I just sit there and listen to them laugh. And then I'm like, okay, we did something. We've affected people. Uh, I also like, you know, making them cry, but that you can't see as visibly, hearing the laughter. I, I think that's what you, I just want to let people enjoy life, especially the cabaret. Every week before the cabaret, I'm like, don't forget to have fun. Because uh, there was an old, old adage from when I was doing summer theater uh, for 12 years growing up. And that was, if you have fun, the audience will too. And it's it's still very true. Um, Elliot Tobinslag, who ran that theater for 50 years, uh, would say it all the time. And I completely, I completely still say it to people because that's what we're doing. We're, we're having fun. You know, we're, we're sharing our love of, of the world and of our love, especially this show, our love of love and our love of these characters and our love to New York City. It's also, you know, the show is not uh, very entrenched in New York City because we want it to be done other places, but our production is because we have the projections of New York City and we have all our props. We have a New York City mug, you know? So we we think of it as our love letter to the city and to musicals. And we, we are really thrilled with how many people have come and loved the show. And that is worth the whole thing and i really just hope we can uh the show can continue to be done in the future by other people producing it so i can just collect the royalties and show up and sign autographs yes that is the dream down i'd like i really want to know because i'm i'm loving all the stories that you have this is going to be an exciting question for me what is your favorite theater memory oh my gosh like doing theater or watching theater i'll take both if you want or either oh my gosh um well in terms of of doing theater uh i think our first preview in 2020 of love quirks i I just remember 
the feeling of, oh my God, we actually got the show off Broadway. Like we said we were going to do this 10 years ago and we did it. And just realizing uh, I went to the TKTS board and the show was up there. And when I was in high school, I would come in and we would get shows on TKTS. And it was like a huge deal to me to be on the TKTS board uh, in 2020. In 2022, it was, it was a very stressful reopening. So I don't think we got to really have the the joy that I, I would have wished we could have had a little bit more of opening night uh, because I, I was having PTSD. I thought we weren't going to make it to opening night again. So until opening night hit, I, was a, I wasn't really sleeping. Uh, and then I gave a really nice speech opening night, which you can find on my social media at sethbh.com. It's on my Facebook, uh, Instagram, and TikTok. Not on Twitter, but I'm also on Twitter. I don't know if people are on Twitter anymore. And uh, I, it was very moving to me that we finally opened. And that was really great. In terms of seeing theater, I've seen uh, 424 Broadway shows. I checked on the number when you were telling me you guys had seen about 200. Uh, so it's hard. Um, 424. I don't know what... Uh, so... The first time I was backstage on Broadway, I had gone to my friend Aviva's wedding and her cousin, uh, she's cousins with Alana Levine, who played Lucy in the 1999 revival of Your Good Man, Charlie Brown. And I'm, I met her at the wedding and she was like, and it literally the show was closing the next weekend because, you know, it won uh, Kristen and Roger Tony's and then it was going to close. And she's like, well, if you come to the show, uh, you know, I'll give you a backstage tour. And I was like, well, of course we're fucking coming to the show. Uh, and so just that was my first time backstage. And it was really crazy to be back there. And she introduced me to Kristen, who I, Kristen already kind of knew who I was because I was her first fan. I saw Kristen in Steel Pier and I was like, you are the funniest thing and I love you so much. Uh, so I was, I would say I was one of the OG Kristen Chenoweth fans uh, in Still Pure. And so Kristen was like, I know you. And so, you know, that was really cool to feel like I was kind of somehow a, a, a part of that, kind of, not really. But now I think I've been backstage in most Broadway theaters and it's still pretty damn cool. I'm not going to lie. Like going backstage off Broadway is is it's a I mean it's a shithole back there, but it's actually kind of a shithole on Broadway too. But I've been like, you know, now I have just thinking about how far I've come and the fact that I know people in almost every Broadway musical in the last 10, 15 years, because I've just worked with thousands of singers at this point. So like I would say I'm probably one degree of separation from almost anyone who has worked on Broadway in the last 30 years. And that's pretty damn cool. Yeah, that's incredible. Wow. Again, I can't wait for your novel, your, not your novel, your book biography to come out, your book. Uh, well, I've published three books, you know. I'm actually working on my fourth right now. Uh, the first book is called Sleep Right Now, and then it's a memoir of my dark year where when I didn't sleep at all. It's about insomnia anxiety and depression from grief, which I had a lot of that year. I had a terrible breakup. That's actually, I believe how that terrible breakup scene ended up in our show. I think it's because I went through that and Mark was like, I'm putting this in the show. And I ended up writing a book about that experience because uh, so many people go through that in their mid thirties. They have like a year that is lost because they're just so upset over a breakup or whatever. Uh, and I also lost two grandparents, and then it, it was a terrible year. And I realized so many of my friends in their 50s had been through that, and they were like, yep, I went through a year like that. It's going to suck for a year. And it did. And though I wrote the book to give people going through that perspective, and I've actually gotten emails from random strangers that it has really helped them. My second book, Every Page a Little Seth, 
is based on the 30 episodes of my web series, Every Day a Little Seth, that we then turned into a sitcom pilot. And that's all about being single in your 30s in New York City, uh, like 10 years ago. And then I wrote Millennials Are Ruining the World, question mark, of course, uh, which is the book about this generation and how horrible they are to deal with. Uh, but my new book is called The Making of a Musical, and it, uh, it's all about the 12-year journey of love quirks. And I'm going to go through all 28 drafts and all 12 years of development. And I go through all 32 songs that were in the show at some point. And I talk about why they were written originally. And I have all the original drafts of lyrics. And then I say, these lyrics changed. And this is why we changed this lyric. So it's part analysis, part history, part memoir, and also part comedy routine, because I can't not be funny uh, because I prefer being funny. And then I, uh, I'm i going to do a whole chapter about quarantine and what that was like living through that, being an artist, seeing your dream be three days away from opening. So it's going to have a lot of emotions in that book, uh, but it's going to literally chart the whole journey of producing this small show off Broadway. There's no book like that. There's no book that says this is how you produce the show off Broadway because it is not easy and it's it's very niche uh so but it's part that it's part how i wrote the show and it's also part let's talk about the pandemic and uh you know that sort of thing my 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 dead cat actually already wrote a chapter to it because i wrote most of the book in 2019 and i was literally just going through it and i realized that Smee had written his final captor he wrote a captor in the in my second and third books, and uh, everyone always prefers his captors. So, uh, so he actually has one more that is going to be in this book in the in memoriam for him. Aww. I'm telling you, I I I'm all of the above. I'm a multi 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 hyphenate, and I don't fit in any boxes. And that has been probably the hardest part of my journey is I do too much, and people can't pigeonhole me. I, I don't know. I, I love that. I'm loving that about you. I love that you have all these irons in the fire and you wear all these hats. And I literally wrote down, has published three books and I'm going, I love reading. I love reading on the subway. I'm going to find these. And oh, you should. they're on, on my website on the side, sethbh.com, sethbh.com. Boop. That's the website jingle, but you can find the books. You can find the podcast. You can find the sitcom pilot. Uh, I also just got my first crossword puzzle in the New York Times. And that's coming out in the spring. And that was a huge, huge ass bucket, I, bucket list item that took six years to accomplish. Anyone who does not understand how big that is, that is huge. Well, that's I counted. Incredible. I counted because I wanted to know there were only 1,200 or so people who have had a, a, a puzzle in the New York Times. 1,200 out of the billions in the world. Yeah, that is amazing. Congrats. Okay. About to join that club sometime this spring. It's a very, it's like eight to 10 months after you're accepted. So I'm just kind of twiddling my thumbs waiting. But that's <laughs> going to be a huge thing next year. And I'm super excited about it. Amazing. Well, you've already kind of led into my uh, one of my final questions, which is, are there any other productions or projects that you have coming on the pipeline? Oh, yeah. Well, first, I am going to take a vacation. Uh, but I have, as I mentioned, the, we're hitting 700 showcases of my weekly showcases that I do Don't Tell Mama with musical theater kids, mostly out of school, uh, right out of college. So I've been doing those weekly since 2007. Uh, it's been uh, 15 years and we're hitting 700. So I'm going to do one or two concerts of my songs with showcase people, uh, which is really the only way to get 20 year olds to do your songs. You can keep telling them you should look at my material and they won't. But as soon as you're like, I'll cast you in this concert of my work. Then they listen to all 150 of your songs and you're like, thank you, it's about time. Uh, so we're doing <laughs> that. Uh, as I said, the making of a musical, I'm hoping to get that out this fall or this spring, it depends. Uh, it, I might actually try to find a publisher that's not myself, we'll see how that goes. Um, I have a new film that I did a short film uh, about my grandmother's Holocaust experience uh, and her, uh, she, every time she went to uh, to the interview, she used to be interviewed about the Holocaust all the time. And every time she would talk about the sunrise she saw when she was taken from her village on the train and everyone else was trying to sleep and she stayed up and saw this beautiful sunrise. And she was like, 
how is there so much beauty in this world and so much pain? And I musicalized that, and then we've turned it into a short film. So I'm going to be doing a crowdfunding for that uh, probably April for Holocaust Month, and then we hope to shoot that next summer. And then my, uh, I'm hoping to bring back my children's musical, Stanley's Party, at the AMT Theater. I, I'm talking to them about that. I would like to do a workshop of The Diamond as Big as the Ritz, which I wrote with my other collaborator, R.C. Staub, uh, which is based on the F. Scott Fitzgerald, The Diamond as Big as the Ritz, the short story he published about uh, greedy rich people, which is still very relevant on New Year's later. And then R.C. and I are, are putting on the finishing touches of our Broadway-aimed musical, The Secret Adversary, which is based on the book, The Secret Adversary. You can see we how we pick books. Uh, by Agatha Christie, and it's a murder mystery musical. And the book is takes place in the 1920s after World War One and the first pandemic, and it's about two 20-year-olds. And so we've moved it to the 2020s after this pandemic in San Francisco, and there are unemployed millennials, and they decide to become PIs. And they get in this huge mystery about the secret adversary, and there's a love triangle which screamed musical theater to me, uh, so we hope to finish that this fall and do a table read and hopefully we'll do a, a full industry read of that in the spring as well. So lots of irons in the fire, as you said, but I am I'm doing a, I'm going two two weeks to go to Japan when this run is done because uh, my wife is, is from Japan. So we're doing like uh, we're doing our honeymoon. We got married during the pandemic. So we're doing our, our long awaited uh, two weeks in Japan coming up after after we strike the set. So that's coming up so soon, which is nuts. Well, congratulations to you both. Uh, and a well-deserved vacation honeymoon, you know, a, a nice respite before you, you come back and go at, you know, from zero to 60 all over again with mm -hmm. all these amazing projects. Congrats on all those. Thank you. So if our listeners want to get more information about Love Quirks or they want to reach out to you, how can they do all that? Uh, Love Quirks can be found at lovequirks.com and you can follow Love Quirks at Love Quirks on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Uh, you can also find the cast recording streaming on all platforms. You can also, uh, if you're old like me, buy the physical CD at the theater uh, or through Critzerland who published it for us. Uh, you can find tickets to the show at loveports.com tickets. We have seven more shows uh, Thursday, uh, August 25th at 7, August 26th, Friday night at 8, Saturday night, August 27th at 8, Sunday, uh, August 28th at 3 p.m., Monday night, August 29th at 7 p.m. And our final two shows are Thursday, Friday, September 1st and 2nd at 7 p.m. And as we just announced today, as Andrew knows, we are uh, streaming the show on Stellar Tickets. Uh, Stellar reached out to me, actually. Uh, this woman, Jody, who works there, did my showcases like 12 years ago. And she was like, we would love to have you uh, stream it. And thankfully, we were able to work it out, you know, with Actors' Equity. So we are uh, streaming the show on Saturday night at 8 and Sunday at 3. And you can, at Eastern Standard Time, and you can watch that anywhere in the world. You can come see our show uh, in HD, which is it's very exciting, just available uh, for those two days uh, during those time periods. So, you know, we hope that we get some more fans and, you know, the show will hopefully get licensed sometime this fall. And we do hope that regional theaters and colleges will start to be able to do uh, this beautiful, beautiful show for people and uh, a piano or a small band, if you want. And we think uh, it's very marketable and very relatable, as we keep saying. So I, I really hope that the people listening, I, I would recommend coming in person because it's always, everything's always better in person. But if you're not able to get to New York City in the next week and a half, totally tune in, watch the stream, then you can you know, live vicariously through Andrew, who got to see it in person. <laughs> I would definitely recommend seeing the show in person. I cannot recommend it enough. The cast is fucking phenomenal. They're absolutely phenomenal. And this is your last chances to, to see them in it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. 
Well, my guest today has been Seth Beeson Hirsch, who is the composer and lyricist of the new musical Love Quirks, which is playing now through September 2nd, Thursdays through Sundays at the AMT Theater at 354 West 45th Street. Um, they also have two streaming shows on Saturday, August 27th at 8 p.m. and Sunday, August 28th at 3 p.m. But I definitely recommend going in person. But if you can't get here to New York, do tune in for that. Tickets and more information for the show can be found at lovequirks.com or you can find them on all of the social media platforms, including TikTok at lovequirks. And we will be posting all of that information on the information for this episode, as well as uh, on our social media. And if you'd like more information about Seth, um, he's got a website, sethbh.com, uh, which is also his handle on social media. So make sure to check out all of the projects that he is involved in. He is a guy with many hats and, and it sounds like there's a lot more to come from him. Uh, and bef- one last thing I do want to mention is after you see the show and you are as impressed as I am, make sure you download by stream the cast recording, which is available. Um, so that's exciting. I mean, how often do we get to say an off-Broadway show has a cast recording ready and rearing to go? So this is all so exciting. Seth, thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. I'm excited to hopefully speak to you again with your next project. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Andrew. This has been great. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you'll find all the information about our backstage pass. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. Hey.